1: we go episode 766 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Tuesday February 20th 2024 what is the first day on which NFL teams this offseason can designate franchise and transition players it is from February 20th to March 5th at 4 p.m. Eastern, that NFL teams can slap franchise and transition tags on players. It does seem unlikely that the commanders will be slapping any of their players with a franchise tag or transition tag. Washington, of course, is quite familiar with slapping players with Franchise tags, the team in the 2023 offseason, franchise tagged interior defensive lineman Duran Payne, the team in each of two consecutive offseasons, the 2020 and 2021 offseasons, franchise tagged right guard Brandon Sheriff. And yes, I did say Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff. Yes, Brendan Scherf. Sure. Thank you, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Goldie podcast. Well, Commander's General Manager Adam Peters may not be franchise tagging or transition tagging any players this offseason, but he does have a new right-hand man, Commander's Assistant General Manager Lance Newmark, who was hired in a hiring that was officially announced Last Wednesday afternoon, uh, Lance Newmark spent the previous 26 seasons working for the Detroit Lions. And so next segment, we're going to welcome on a terrific guest to talk, Lance Newmark, and much more, Dan Miller. Uh, Dan Miller is the radio play-by-play announcer for the Lions. He also is the sports director for Fox 2 in Detroit. He also is from the Washington, D.C. area, used to work in this area. And he's going to tell us what the commanders are getting and Lance Newmark, do the commanders in Adam Peters and Lance Newmark, do the manders in Adam and Lance now have the kind of NFL draft intellect uh, that will lead our team to stacking one good draft after another. Uh, Boy, (laughs) I hope so. Uh, Also, Dan Miller is going to talk to us about what the Commanders can learn from the Lions' great turnaround, Uh, what went wrong for the Commanders' new run game coordinator slash running backs coach Anthony Lynn in his one season as Lions offensive coordinator the 2021 season how now former Commanders General Manager and current Commanders Senior Personnel Executive slash advisor to the GM Martin Mayhew is viewed in terms of his many years with the Lions. And yes, we will talk some about the saga between the Commanders and Lions Offensive Coordinator Ben Johnson. Not much, but some. Uh, But Dan Miller, next segment with Intel on Lance Newmark and a lot more. Also on the show, I will discuss the big Nationals news from Monday afternoon. The learners are no longer exploring selling the Nets. I have a lot to say <laughs> about that. And I'll review a stunning result in college basketball on Monday night, Virginia Tech annihilating Virginia 75 75- 41 at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia. That the Cavaliers lost may not have been stunning, but how they lost was the Hokies humiliated the Wahoos. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Chris Rossi on Adam Peters writes, Chris, the offseason acquisition that I've been the most excited about so far is Adam Peters, because we've been told that he is one of the best talent evaluators in the league. But then I remembered the Trey Lance debacle. Maybe it was just one bad pick, and maybe that pick wasn't ultimately the decision of Adam Peters, since he was not the 49ers general manager. But I read an article on NFL.com that graded the 2023 NFL draft classes. As expected, ours was one of the worst, second worst to be exact. But then I noticed that the 49ers 2023 draft class was the fourth worst. I understand that it's hard to accurately grade a draft class after just one season, but that shocked me. I hope that we're not getting overly optimistic about Adam Peters. I remember being told that Scott McLuhan was an amazing talent evaluator and his two drafts were average at best. Fingers crossed. Uh, thank you for the email, Chris. Uh, interestingly, both Adam Peters and former Redskins general manager Scott McLuhan, a friend of this podcast, uh, are known in large part for their tenures with the San Francisco 49ers, right? Adam was with the Niners from January 2017 to January 2024, and Scott was with the Niners from February 2005 to March 2010, including serving as Niners general manager from January 2008 to March 2010. I would say a few things regarding Adam Peters and whether we are perhaps getting too excited over his work with the Niners. Uh, First of all, it is true that the Niners have drafted very well in recent years. There really is no denying that. And Adam Peters was a big part of this good drafting. And there's no denying that. Uh, Like I said, he was with the Niners January 2017 to January 2024. He was their vice president of player personnel January 2017 to February 2021. He was their assistant general Manager from February 2021 to January 2024. If you look at the seven NFL drafts in which Adam Peters played a significant role for the Niners, the 2017 through 2023 drafts, and you go by Associated Press, first team and second team, all pro honors. The Niners, from those 2017 through 2023 drafts, selected six players who, for the team, have earned first team and or second team all pro honors, and four of those players were non-first-round picks. Uh, Those players are tight end George Kittle, who the Niners took in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL Draft out of Iowa, linebacker Fred Warner, who the Niners took in the third round of the 2018 NFL Draft out of BYU, receiver Debo Samuel, who the Niners took in the second round of the 2019 NFL Draft out of South Carolina. Edge defender Nick Bosa, who the Niners took with the number two overall pick in the 2019 NFL Draft out of Ohio State. Receiver Brandon Ayuk, who the Niners took with the number 25 overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft out of Arizona State. And safety Talanoa Hufanga, who the Niners took in the fifth round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of USC. And not included on that list is quarterback Brock Purdy, who the Niners took with the very last pick In the 2022 NFL draft, and who has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Over the last two seasons, does the Niners 2023 draft look sensational right now? <laughs> no. Uh, did the Niners in March 2021 make the disastrous trade that ultimately landed them quarterback Trey Lance? Yes. But regarding the former, let's give that Niners 2023 draft class more than a season. And regarding the latter, it is unclear to what extent Adam Peters was in favor of of the Trey Lance trade. And even if the Niners 2023 draft class turns out to be a dud, and even if Adam was in favor of the Trey Lance trade, the Niners overall body of NFL draft work during Adam Peters time with the team still is impressive. Like you think about the Trey Lance trade, okay? March 26th, 2021, the Niners acquired the number three overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft from the Miami Dolphins in exchange for the Niners' 2021 first-round pick, pick number 12 overall, 2022 and 2023 first-round picks, and a 2022 compensatory third-round pick. And the Niners, with that number three overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft, took quarterback Trey Lance. However, it says a lot that the Niners made that bad of a trade and yet still had at least 10 wins in each of the next three regular seasons, 2021 through 2023. Like, in an odd way, the debacle that was the Trey Lance trade makes Adam Peters look better, not worse, because the Niners made this really bad trade And yet still did well. The trade did not set the Niners back. And the big reason for that was the Niners very good drafting of which Adam Peters was a major part. Email from Brian on a certain role on the commander's coaching staff and on NFL coaching staffs in general. Uh, Writes Brian, hey Al, as always, love the podcast and never miss a beat. Curious about what the job of quality control coach entails for the team. Was thinking that this relates to analytics, but not sure. Perhaps you could fill us in to get a clearer picture of this role. Thanks again great show. Uh, Thank you, Brian. Uh, A quality control coach, a QC coach, as the position is sometimes known, uh, is, as former Skins head coach Jake Rudin would say, a slappy, (laughs) okay? A quality control coach is a slappy. Uh, Quality control coaches are the lowest coaches in a coaching staff hierarchy, are almost always young coaches, uh, and are usually guys or girls uh, just getting Into the coaching profession. And what quality control coaches do basically is whatever the other coaches on the coaching staff do not want (laughs) to do. Uh, This can be a variety of things. For example, the commander's offensive quality control coach is Shane Tobe. He is the son of Dave Tobe, who is the Kansas City Chiefs assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. Uh, So say offensive coordinator Cliff Kingsbury wants to see what the defense of the commander's next opponent has done on all third and sevens or longer in a season, Shane Tobe can prepare such a video cut up. Uh, The work of quality control coaches can include statistical analysis, but more and more NFL teams employ other people specifically for statistical analysis. But if you look at the resumes of a lot of prominent NFL coaches, those coaches started their NFL coaching careers as quality control coaches. Uh, Heck, Commander said Coach Dan Quinn, his first NFL job was being the San Francisco 49ers defensive quality control coach for the 2001 in 2002 seasons. Uh, All right, up next, another Dan, Dan Miller, talking Lance, Newmark,
0: and more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Hey, please consider following the podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of the podcast. The commander's revamping of football operations has included the hiring of not just a new number one person in the front office in terms of football ops, but also a new number two person. The team on January 15th officially announced the hiring of Adam Peters as general manager. The team last Wednesday Wednesday afternoon, February 14th, Valentine's Day, uh, officially announced the hiring of Lance Newmark as assistant general manager. He had spent the previous 26 seasons with the Detroit Lions. Uh, The next day, Thursday, February 15th, featured the commanders officially announcing head coach Dan Quinn's coaching staff and then holding introductory press conferences for offensive coordinator Cliff Kingsbury and defensive coordinator Joe Witt Jr. So this hiring of Lance Newmark has gotten at least somewhat lost in the shuffle, but we on last Thursday's show, episode 763, did talk a good bit about Newmark, and we're now gonna get some really good insight on Newmark and more. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast the radio play-by-play announcer for the Lions, Dan Miller. Uh, He has been the radio voice of the Lions since the 2005 season. He also is the sports director for Fox 2 in Detroit. He has had that job since 1997 and he is from the Washington D.C. area. Uh, Dan went to George Mason University and worked in the D.C. area in the 1990s, including at WTEM, what was then Sports Radio 570, The Team. Uh, I, as a kid, listened <laughs> to Dan on the radio. Uh, you can follow Dan on X at Dan Miller Fox Two. Hey, Dan, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. How are you today?
1: Doing well. Uh, Appreciate you coming on. Before we truly get going here, this past season for the Lions, 12-5 and in the regular season, first division title for the franchise since the 1993 regular season, and then not one but two wins in the postseason off the team not having won a playoff game since January 1992. Having called Lions games for so many years, what was this past season like for you?
2: It was pretty incredible. Um, And I think just to see these fans get some payback for all of the, you know, emotion and love and, frankly, money they've put into this team and faith and belief and hope and to get to be able to celebrate two playoff wins, you know, not be able to ultimately do what you want to do in this league, which is get to the Super Bowl and win it, but to see them be able to finally. Uh, see a team that showed something at the end of 2022 and then came back in 2023 and built on it, won a division for the first time in 30 years, won a playoff game for the first time in 32 years. Uh, Just all those things added up to making it really special. And I think furthered the belief that there's something going on here that they can believe in. Uh, whereas in years past, they would put their faith in something and it would end up either being fool's gold or just a one-year kind of run where they'd make a playoff. it feels like this thing has staying power. And it was, it was amazing to have two playoff games where you've never had a playoff game at Ford Shield before. They were just able to check so many boxes this year that it, um, you know, it just felt more magical as the year went on.
1: Yeah, it was definitely cool to see from afar. Uh, so, of course, a part of the Lions doing so well was Lance Newmark. Uh, He spent the last 26 seasons, 1998 through 2023, in the Lions front office. He most recently was the Lions Senior Director of Player Personnel. He had had that job since June 2022. He was the Lions Director of Player Personnel from May 2017 to June 2022. He was the Lions College Scouting Director from May 2015 to May 2017. What are the commanders getting in Lance Newmark?
2: Well, obviously, number one, somebody who's got a lot of experience. And number two, uh, what jumps out of me is just, you know, number one, I, I know how good Lance is. I know how hard he works. I've watched him for, he was here for 26. I think I've been here for 27. So I've watched him the entire time. And the thing about Lance is just that his ability to uh, stay from regime to regime to regime because we've been through a lot of people here in Detroit. But I think that's a testament to, you know, what people think about him how easily it is for him to adapt and just the, the depth of his work and what people see when when he hands in an evaluation on a player and, and sets up a board and helps to do that and helps to, to understand what's out there in terms of the college draft. And believe me, these guys all know each other. These guys are on the road. They see each other. Um, you got a great example there. Lance Newmark wouldn't be in Washington if, you know, Martin Mayhew didn't take the world of him because – If this was somebody that wasn't able to pull his weight or wasn't talented or didn't give good evaluations, Mark Mayhew sitting right there would speak up and tell him. So, um, you know, I I don't know what the depth of the relationship between Adam Peters and and Lance Newmark is, but my guess is these guys have seen each other out and about. They understand as they watch the other guys how they work, and I just think there's a ton of respect for Lance. um, I've always just been impressed that everybody – that has come through here, once they're here for a little while, they sing his praises and talk about how talented he is, how much he has to the organization. And as I said, he has lasted uh, much longer in this organization than most with his ability to, to do what he does. So I think, you know, look, it was a great move for him to be able to move up, get a better title, uh, get a little more, you know, responsibility within the organization. That opportunity wasn't here, so if you got to move sometimes to do that, I think everybody here is happy to see Lance get that chance.
1: The Lions football operations org chart. Uh, The president and CEO is Rod Wood. Uh, He oversees all football and business operations for the team. Uh, The Lions executive vice president and general manager is Brad Holmes. Uh, The Lions assistant general manager is Ray Agnew. Was Lance Newmark the number four person in terms of the Lions football operations power structure? Yeah,
2: I I don't know if necessarily how that power structure exactly works out. I think, obviously, you have Holmes at the top when it comes to personnel. And then Holmes is going to, once the season ends, work with Dan Campbell on what they think about players, and he's going to hear his opinion. But, look, Lance is right there when it comes to setting up that board, helping them understand what's going on out there, trusted certainly by – Uh, by Brad Holmes. Ray Agnew is his his immediate assistant, but um, Lance is right there. And I think that there's so much work that gets done during the fall and then as the coaches become available to kind of dig in after a season, they do that. But part of the people that set the table for them so that they don't have to start from ground zero uh, are guys like Lance Newmark, who works hand-in-hand with Agnew and with uh, Brad Holmes to get all that stuff done. So... Um, look, I think he's, he's moved around a little bit in terms of title when he's been in Detroit, but I think always he's been a trusted voice for whoever was there, whether it was Bob Quinn, whether it was Mark Mayhew, whether it was Matt Millen, whether it was the current regime with Brad Holmes, uh, or even going back as far as Chuck Schmidt when he first got here. I think he's always been a guy that has been um, somebody that has earned the trust of people that have walked through that door. That's not an easy thing to do, because oftentimes... When somebody new walks in, they have their own set of trusted, you know, people within the league that they want to bring in. But Lance has always been impressive enough. And I think, as I said, that groundwork is done beforehand because these guys all know each other. Um, I, I just think that speaks volumes about who he is and what he brings to a team.
1: Uh, Lance Newmark began his NFL career by spending the 1996 and 1997 seasons as a staff assistant for the San Diego Chargers, who at the time had legendary former Redskins general manager Bobby Beathard as Chargers GM. But Newmark then spent this incredible 26-season run with the same team in the Lions. Uh, I'm assuming that he had opportunities to go elsewhere. Do you know why he didn't go elsewhere until now?
2: Yeah, no, I, I don't, um, and I couldn't speak to what exactly those opportunities were. Um, you know, I would say when you look at, at what he's done here, for me the impressive thing is just the duration. I mean, there's a lot of bad football that's been played here and, and a lot of um, teams that, that did not represent well, and oftentimes that results in everybody being proved out the door. That didn't happen with Lance. And, you know, one one thing that was said – A while back and it was actually martin mayhew that said it and he you know when things weren't going well and he said look we have the same players bunched together when the picks came up it's just we haven't made the right guys our pick often enough and i think that goes to lance and his ability to help to to you know understand the talent that's out there where those guys should be slotted But more often than not, that pick was going to somebody else. It wasn't Lance making that pick. It was other people after he had set the table for him. So, um, you know, it took a long time for the Lions to get it right. They've got it right now with Brad Holmes. But uh, that doesn't mean that there wasn't good work being done. It just means, essentially, there were bad decisions being made after that work was put into place.
1: So many impressive draft picks by the Lions in recent years. You look at just the last... Three NFL drafts, uh, right tackle Pene Sewell with the number seven overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. Receiver Amonra St. Brown in the fourth round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Edge defender Aiden Hutchinson with the number two overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. Safety Kirby Joseph in the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, Running back Jameer Gibbs with the number 12 overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Tight end Sam Laporta in the second round of the 2023 NFL Draft. Defensive back Brian Branch in the second round of the 2022 NFL draft uh there are other guys who I certainly could bring up is the Amonra St. Brown pick the best one uh or would you give that honor to another pick
2: well I think probably when you're a fourth round pick and you're a first team all pro and you're about to sign a contract that's going to put you amongst the top paid wide receivers in the league uh that makes a pretty good case but I mean look with what Laporta did last year you know Alim McNeil is probably a guy that doesn't get enough um Panay Sewell is among, if not the best, you know, right tackles right now in the league. He's going to reset the market when he signs his contract, assuming that he continues to ascend the way that he has. Um, There's just been a lot of guys that you could make a case for with his team. I mean, I don't think when Brian Branch was drafted in the second round last year, considering where they were in terms of the secondary, they necessarily thought that he would come in and start and be that guy right away. But from the first day of practice, they couldn't get him off the field because he kept making plays, and they had to find some plays for him. So, um, I just think that that's the lifeblood of what they've been able to do here. That's that's the turnaround. There are other things involved that that maybe don't you know take place on the field or you know even in the draft room. But the biggest thing that I think has happened here that hasn't happened in decades is you're not only drafting good players. You're developing them so that that goes to Brad Holmes and his staff and then it goes to Dan Campbell and his coaching staff that they have taken these players who don't understand what it is to play in the NFL when they get here you have to teach them uh, that's what the best teams do and that's what's now happening here for the first time in a long time we're sitting here talking about all these guys that need second contracts how well, that didn't happen here for a long time you know guys rarely got second contracts because they would flame out and they'd be gone And you'd be drafting somebody at that position again. So um, ultimately in this league, if you want to win, you can't do it with free agency. It's about drafting well and then developing those guys once they get in the building. And that's the biggest thing that's happening here.
1: Much more with Dan Miller in moments. But if you enjoy this podcast, check out BGO Blind Pig, the official podcast of BGObsession.com. BGO Blind Pig is a roundtable discussion of all things Washington Commanders football. Lots of good and passionate Commanders conversation from Commanders fans who know the team well. You can find the BGO Blind Pig podcast on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, or on any major podcast provider. Make BGObsession.com the home for your burgundy and gold obsession. And make the BGO Blind Pig podcast one of your weekly D.C. Football Listens. We're talking with Dan Miller, the radio play-by-play announcer for the Lions and the sports director for Fox 2 in Detroit, about new commanders, assistant general manager Lance Newmark, and also what the commanders can learn from the Lions' turnaround, uh, which has been one of the biggest stories in the NFL over the last two seasons. The Lions had four consecutive double-digit loss regular seasons from 2018 through 2021, but then went 9-8 and eight in the 2022 regular Regular season and then went 12 and 5 and won the NFC North in the 2023 regular season. And then this past postseason advanced to the NFC Championship game. Uh, The turnaround, of course, has happened with Dan Campbell as head coach. He's been the Lions head coach since January 2021. Uh, The Commanders now have their own Dan uh, as head coach, Dan Quinn, and he is the result of a head coaching search for which Adam Peters identified leadership as the number one thing that Adam was looking for. I wonder if you could speak to the significance of Dan Campbell, who really comes across as one of the great leaders in the NFL.
2: Yeah, he does, and he has, and there's no doubt that, you know, he's just got that it factor where he is able to... The biggest thing Dan Campbell does is he's a beautiful Job of setting the tone for the players, whether it 's a day of practice or an upcoming game, to let them know exactly where they need to be, and they respond to that, and you know there 's no b s with him you know exactly where you stand um, he 's not a guy that 's going to tell a player something that do something else. you know exactly where you are with him um, he 's just got a quality about him that has earned these players' trust. He's never lost it. He's had it from day one. Um, and you know, look, we've seen the other side of that. We've had coaches in here that these players didn't want to play for. And it's it's not fun. And it's really hard to be successful, if not impossible at that point. But from the moment that Dan Campbell walked in the door, he understood Detroit. He understood the organization. He understood these players. He understood what had to happen. He understood what it was going to take to make that happen, that it wasn't going to be easy and that it was going to take hard work and a lot of, you know, correct decisions on personnel and then developing that personnel. And I think one thing that Dan Campbell got credit for from the moment he walked in was putting together a good coaching staff. Now, there have been some changes since he got here, and he's had to fine-tune that thing a couple times. But, man, I, I think so much of the credit has to go to that staff, too, because when they break off into position groups or whatever it is and, you see the way that these guys have gotten better since they came through the door. That's, that's part of it. And, and I, I will say something else. If you're talking about big picture and being successful, it's, it's, it's ownership. And clearly you guys have gotten rid of your biggest
1: problem. Here in Washington.
2: <laughs> but it, honestly, uh, when, when Sheila Ham, our owner took over and ultimately made the decision to fire Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, it would have been easy for her to just go out and do a search and say, all right, I'm hiring this GM or I'm hiring this head coach. And She didn't do that. The first thing she did was a deep dive into the organization, and she found out it was broken. It was fractured. There were people there that just felt they had no value. And that was the previous regime that had made them feel that way, that it divided that building into either your football or your somebody else, and somebody else needs to stay the heck out of the way. Well, everybody that's somebody else means something whether you're media relations, community relations, sales, tickets, whatever it is, everybody has to feel like they're pulling in the right direction. And she made that priority one when she went out and hired Chris Spielman and then went on her coaching search and then went on her GM search. And whoever she hired was going to be people that fell into that way of thinking and that way of conducting yourself. And I just, before anything football happened, There was culture and it's a word we throw around a lot, probably erroneously at times. But man, when you see it, you know it. And when you don't see it, you know it. They've got that here. And that started with her. And, you know, I've had people in Washington ask me, man, how do you do it? It's it is about getting the right people in place and letting those people do their jobs but man, they've got to do it in a way that is holistic and, and gets everybody involved and makes everybody in an
3: organization feel like they're pulling in the right direction. And, and that's going to be the key for
2: for Washington is to do that. And look, I, I've heard great things about Dan Quinn, and I've heard that players absolutely love him. So I, I hope he is the right guy, and I hope that you know he can bring that kind of of feeling of togetherness and and you know the. This group's going to work together. And to me, that's really where it starts. There's so much that goes into it. But if you don't have that, if you don't have that culture in your organization, you're going to have a lot of trouble.
1: You mentioned former Lions and Buffalo Bills linebacker Chris Spielman, uh, a big-time presence in the Lions front office. He is a special assistant to Lions president and CEO Rod Wood and is a chairperson. But uh, Chris's brother, former Minnesota Vikings general manager Rick Spielman, uh, a member of an advisory committee put together by Commander's managing partner Josh Harris to assist in this uh, overhaul of the team's football operations. I have a few odds and ends Commanders-related Lions questions for you. The Commanders have hired Anthony Lynn as their run game coordinator slash running backs coach. He spent the last two seasons as the San Francisco 49ers assistant head coach slash running backs coach. He's probably best known for having been the Los Angeles Chargers head coach from January 2017 to January 2021. But he also was the Lions offensive coordinator January 2021 to January 2022. Uh, He was the Lions offensive coordinator prior to Ben Johnson being the Lions offensive coordinator. Uh, That 2021 season was Dan Campbell's first season as Lions head coach. Uh, Their record for that regular season was just 3-13-1. What went wrong for Anthony Lynn as Lions offensive coordinator? You
2: know just didn't work. Look, he's a good football man. He's proven himself and nothing I'm going to say is going to take away from that. But I just don't think there was there was not an ability to get on the same page with Jared Goff. It just didn't look like those two fought the same. And you just juxtapose that to the way that that Ben Johnson and, and Jared Goff have gotten along and, and worked together on bringing this offense along and uh, just the open-door policy that, that Ben has with, with Jared. Not to say that it wasn't there with Anthony, but it just didn't work. That's the best thing I can say. And I and I don't want to say anything that comes across as negative for Anthony Lynn because I, his resume speaks for itself. But there are times where there's just relationships or a place where it's just not the right place for a relationship for you. And I think that was the case here in Detroit. And I think he realized that, and Dan Campbell realized that, and they just moved on. And Anthony Lynn obviously moved on to you know be successful elsewhere and has been successful elsewhere. So I think it's just one of those cases where it just didn't work.
1: You've brought up Martin Mayhew. Uh, he actually is remaining with the Commanders. Washington, in January 2021, hired Martin, as their general manager, the team last Wednesday afternoon announced that he had been demoted to senior personnel executive slash advisor to the GM. Uh, But he, of course, was with the Lions for years. 2001 to 2015 was their general manager from September 2008 to November 2015. How is Martin Mayhew looked back on as Lions GM?
2: You know, I I think Number one, I love Marvin uh, Martin. I, I covered him as a player and then worked with him here in Detroit. So, I, you know, I, I consider him a friend, number one, uh, and I have immense respect for him and, and what he's done in this league. And, you know, it wasn't easy because he had the Millen tag on him when he took over as GM and, and took over an 0-16 team. And, look, he got him to the playoffs and, you Turned an 0-16 team into a playoff team. They had some unfortunate injuries. The team we had in 2014 here was, man, it was probably the best team that until this one came along that we'd had since the 90s. That 2014 team was really good, historically good on defense. But, you know, going back to the Anthony Lynn situation, they had a a situation with an offensive coordinator here in 2014 who did not see eye-to-eye. With Matthew Stafford. He was gone midway through next year. So that just speaks to how everything kind of has to be in place because had they had an offense that was kicking on all cylinders, uh, man, I, like I said, I just honestly believe that defense could have done some damage or that, that team as a whole that lost to Dallas with a picked up flag and the pass interference and all that stuff. So look, Martin did some really good things here. And bringing in Jim Caldwell was a good thing here and making the playoffs. But they just couldn't get over the hump, and I think you know when all was said and done, that's ultimately what was his undoing here, was they got to the point where they were good and they were viable, but they just couldn't take the next step and win a playoff game in advance, but again, Martin's a good football man, and I've watched him work, and I understand how he thinks and and what he did, and it's not easy to take over an 0-16 team in 2009, coming off the 2008 season and then making the playoffs in 2011, and um, he did that. And I think there are people here certainly that respect his work. Uh, but again, I think in the end, it was just that inability, some of which he could control, some of which he couldn't, of just not being able to get over the top.
1: And then one more for you. I mentioned him, Ben Johnson. Uh, I'll be honest, we're kind of talked out about whatever it is that happened between the Commanders and Johnson, but uh, clearly things did not work out. Uh, And it is really unfortunate that things got as ugly as they got between the Commanders and Johnson. But from your vantage point, what do you think is the accurate depiction of what went down with Ben Johnson in this offseason's NFL head coaching cycle? I don't know. I, I, I I've not spoken to
2: Ben. I don't think he's going to be, you know, telling pe- people exactly what it was. It just seemed like it wasn't the right fit for him, and that's me reading the tea leaves. I, I will echo what you said. I think it's disgusting what happened in the aftermath of that. You know, it should have none of that stuff should have ever gotten out there. You don't see that as in coaching searches where people end up bad mouthing you know one side or the other and you know just i just hated when i saw it and honestly i just i hope that's not a reflection of what's going on in washington that somebody's going to leak something to hurt somebody or that you know the, the coaching candidate was not appropriate for this reason it's just man when you're in those situations there's no reason for that you find your guy and you hire your guy and it's not about demeaning somebody that you ultimately don't get or maybe don't have for one reason or another. And there might've been something on Washington's side where it didn't work with Ben Johnson, as has been alluded to, but nobody from either side needs to ever get into finger pointing and talking about why it didn't work or something like that. I just, to me, that doesn't happen. And when it does, it's ugly. Nobody needs it. It doesn't really do anybody any good other than damage control, which I just think your damage control should be the person that you hire your damage control should be getting a guy that lifts your organization. And and I I can't answer to you exactly what happened, but I hated seeing how it happened and what happened.
1: All right. Dan Miller, the radio play-by-play announcer for the Lions and the sports director for Fox 2 in Detroit. Uh, Dan, thank you and all the best. Appreciate it, Al. Thanks for having me. Good stuff from Dan Miller. We can only hope that a Lions-like turnaround is coming for the Commanders. Uh, well, always in a good place and in no need of a turnaround is Catering by Uptown. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service, and it now is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Newly engaged couples can get 5% off any Catering by Uptown Wedding Package. Just call 301-572-7744. Set up your own personal tour of one of Catering by Uptown's premier waterfront venues and mention that Al Galdi Sancha to get the discount. If you're planning a wedding, you want great service, but you also want a great price. Well, Catering by Uptown provides both. Call 301-572-7744 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi Sancha. Catering by Uptown can also help you if you're planning a party or a corporate event. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations, and Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu to picking linens to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. And do not forget about the great offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Newly engaged couples can get 5% off any Catering by Uptown wedding package. Just call 301-572-7744. Set up your own personal tour of one of Catering by Uptown's premier waterfront venues and mention that Al Galdi sent you to get the discount. That's 301- Five seven two seven seven four four, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, this episode of the Al Galdi podcast is for Tuesday, February twentieth. What is the day on which we have the first? Full squad workouts at both 2024 National Spring Training in West Palm Beach, Florida, and 2024 Orioles Spring Training in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, Nats pitchers and catchers had their first workout at 2024 Spring Training last Wednesday, February 14th. Orioles pitchers and catchers had their first workout at 2024 Spring Training last Thursday, February 15th. Uh, The notable developments at Nationals and Oriole Spring trainings have had to do with pitcher injuries. We last Wednesday learned that Nats reliever Mason Thompson has been shut down due to right elbow discomfort. Uh, That is concerning. Uh, He has a history of injury problems, and any time that you hear about elbow discomfort, you think... Tommy John surgery. Uh, we last Thursday learned that two Orioles starting pitchers, Kyle Bradish and John Means, are expected to begin the 2024 regular season on entered lists. Uh, Bradish is dealing with an older collateral ligament sprain in his right elbow. That is concerning. Uh, The UCL is the ligament on which you undergo Tommy John surgery, and Means is behind other pitchers due to having experienced left elbow soreness late last regular season. Means underwent Tommy John surgery on his left elbow on April twenty seventh, 2022. However, the single biggest news item to emerge from Nationals or Orioles spring training is what broke on Monday afternoon. The news that the Learners are no longer exploring selling the Nats, said Nats managing principal owner Mark Lerner to the Washington Post. Quote, nothing has really changed. We've just decided that it's not the right time or the place to sell the team. We're very happy owning the team and bringing us back a ring one day end quote. (laughs) And to this, I say boo, a big fat boo. Uh, The dream scenario is no more. The dream scenario as outlined on this podcast was the commanders, the Orioles and the nationals all getting sold within a year or two of each other. We were two thirds of the way there. Dan and Tanya Snyder sold the Commanders to the Josh Harris Group in a transaction that was officially completed last July 21st. Uh, It was just a few weeks ago, January 31st, that it was announced that the Angelos family had agreed to sell the O's to a group being led by two private equity billionaires, David Rubenstein and Michael Arragetti. But now the learners are no longer exploring selling the nats and thus ends a uh, rather bizarre near two-year saga it was on april 11th 2022 that we learned that the learners had begun exploring selling the nats but as best as we can tell the learners never came close to selling the nats as the learners never got whatever they wanted for the nats and As for that, so the Angelos family is selling the O's to this group led by David Rubenstein and Michael Arigetti for $1.725 billion. It was last April 19th that The Washington Post reported that Monumental Sports and Entertainment founder, chairman, principal partner, and CEO, Ted Leonsis, late in 2022, quote, offered more than $2 billion, end quote, to buy ads uh, the report also said that it was not clear whether the learners rejected that offer or simply did not respond to that offer but what is clear is that the learners did not accept that offer now Washington DC is a much more lucrative and attractive market than Baltimore is but if the O's are selling for 1.725 billion dollars I don't know how much better than more than $2 billion that the learners were ever going to do for the Nats. Understand that the record sale price for an MLB franchise is $2.4 billion uh, for the New York Mets in 2020. The Mets are worth more than the Nats are worth. Also Forbes, uh, it in March 2022 valued the Nats as being worth $2 billion and Forbes in March 2023 valued the Nats as being worth Two billion dollars. Yes, the value of the Nats did not go up from 2022 to 2023. But even with Forbes valuing the Nats at two billion dollars, the Learners were not good with more than two billion dollars from Ted Leonsis for the Nats late in 2022. I mean, <laughs> what exactly did the Learners want? MLB franchises are not NFL franchises. The Josh Harris Group bought the Commanders for $6.05 billion. The Learners were never going to get even half of that for the Nats, and yet the Learners seemingly acted like they should have gotten at least half of that for the Nats. Uh, I have been told the following by someone in the know. Not all of the learners were on board with selling the Nats. And I do think that that was a big part of what went on here. Yes, Mark Lerner is the Nats' managing principal owner. He is the controlling owner. But my understanding is that the learners make major decisions via vote or via consensus. And so when we say learners, we really are talking about learners, right? The plural of learner. And we are talking about a good number of people. There is managing principal owner, Mark Lerner. There also are six principal owners of the Nats. Uh, They are Annette M. Lerner, Marla Lerner-Tannenbaum, Deborah Lerner-Cohen, Robert K. Tannenbaum, Edward L. Cohen, and Judy Lankin-Lerner. Mark, Annette, Marla, Deborah, Robert, Edward, and Judy. (laughs) And my understanding is that they were not all on the same page when it came to selling the Nats. In fact, my understanding is that Mark Lerner himself did not want to sell the Nats. And so the Nats, at least for now, aren't being sold. And so what now if you're a Nats fan? Well, the learners, now that they're not selling, need to recommit to making the team great again. And that is not about spending on players, not yet anyway. I know that a lot has been made of the learners not spending big on players in recent years. That actually hasn't bothered me. I might be in the minority on that. But the Nats are a rebuilding team, spending big on players for the purpose of going from, say, a 60-win team in a regular season to a 70-win team (laughs) in a regular season. makes no sense, okay? The time to spend is when the Nats are busting out of their rebuild. And that time, hopefully, is this coming season or the 2025 season. But what does bother me is how behind the Nats have been for years in infrastructure, especially regarding analytics. The Nats have gotten lapped. By other major league teams in terms of analytic staffing and investment in analytics. There is a big-time information and data arms race in MOB now. And if you're not competitive in that arms race, you get left behind. And the Nats have not been competitive in that arms race, and so they consequently have gotten left behind. The number one reason that the Nats fell off a cliff after their 2019 World Series championship season, was not injuries, was not players getting older, was not the team not re-signing certain players, was not COVID, no. The number one reason that the Nats fell off a cliff after their 2019 World Series championship season was bad drafting slash player development. The Nats had become really bad at drafting slash player development. And so that next wave of great Nats players wasn't there. Now, the bad drafting slash player development hopefully is changing, but part of the big time fall off in drafting slash player development was the Nats not having the kind of analytics department that can compete. With the analytics departments of the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees and the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. The learners are not cheap when it comes to spending on players. The ads per Cots baseball contracts ranked in the top ten in MLB year-end 40-man payroll in each of eight consecutive seasons 2013 through 2020. But the learners have shown a reluctance to spend on infrastructure. And this goes back years. This goes back to when the learners bought the Nats in 2006. That reluctance needs to go bye-bye, okay? (laughs) Especially in this day and age of the information and data arms race in MLB, and especially with the learners now no longer exploring selling the team. If you're going to be in then you need to be in and the learners now and no longer exploring, selling the team are in, or at least they should be in. If you're in, you're in. Uh, The Nats over the last few months underwent drastic and really much needed change in their baseball operations, but there still are staffing questions with the Nats front office. To say nothing, of whether President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo still should be running Nats Baseball Ops. You know, that's a different conversation. But look, when it comes to Mike Rizzo, I like a lot about Mike. You have to respect all that Mike has accomplished with the Nats, but he is the person who presided over the Nats' very bad drafting slash player development that made them have to rebuild in the first place. Bottom line, though, if the learners now are in, they need to be in. And they need to spend more, not necessarily on players, not yet anyway, but on infrastructure. Uh, I'm not holding my breath (laughs) on this happening, okay? But this needs to happen. Nats fans deserve for this to happen. The latest Associated Press top 25 poll for men's college basketball for this season came out on Monday afternoon. Virginia of having been number 21 in last week's poll was out of this week's poll uh, this due to going one and one last week, although the Cavaliers were first among others receiving votes for this latest AP top 25 poll. Uh, I would not be expecting the Cavs to be getting many more votes for next week's AP top 25 poll. We on Monday night had the latest installment of the Commonwealth Clash, and the result was a Commonwealth crushing. Uh, Virginia Tech demolished Virginia 75-41 at Castle Coliseum, In Blacksburg, Virginia. Yes, 75-41. The final score of this game was Virginia Tech 75, Virginia 41. The Hokies led by at least 20 points for the entire second half, the 34-point victory, the second-largest margin of victory for Tech ever. In a game against Virginia, trailing only a 35-point win on February 18, 1961 in War Memorial Gym, in Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, this was just the Hokies' second win in six games. Tech for this season now is 15 and 11 overall and seven and eight in the ACC. The Cavs now have lost two of their last three games and for the season are 20 and seven overall and 11 and five in the ACC. The Hokies were coming off a 96-81 loss at then number seven North Carolina this past Saturday afternoon in a game in which their defense was not good. Well. Tech's defense on Monday night was good, and the Wahoos' offense, which is not trustworthy, was not good. Uh, The Hokies held the Hoos to just 41 points, including just 16 points in the first half. The Hokies held the Hoos to just two of twelve on threes and just fifteen of forty on twos. The Hokies held the Hoos to just seven free throw attempts the entire game. The Hoos went five of seven on free throws. The Hokies held the Hoos to just seven assists versus twelve turnovers. Uh, six 4 Isaac McNeely was the only UVA player to score more than seven points. He in twenty nine minutes eight seconds as a starter went one of four on threes, three of four on twos, and two of two on free throws. He finished with 11 points, two rebounds, and a plus-minus rating of minus 25. And UVA's defense was not good. Tech scored 75 points, went 8-23 on threes and 19-30 on twos, and finished with 17 assists versus seven turnovers. Uh, no Hokies player had a really big game. The best of the bunch was 6'10 center Lin Kidd. He, in just 18 minutes, 25 seconds as a starter, had 14 points and seven rebounds. He went 5 of 5 from the field, all twos and 4 of 4 on free throws. So here was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Monday night on whether he saw a loss like this coming, especially off a 49 47 win over Wake Forest at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia, this past Saturday afternoon.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a quick turnaround from obviously the. Um the Wake game. Uh, we struggled offensively against Wake, um, but but played real hard defensively. And obviously, our crowd uh, ignited us and knew how challenging this place is to play and um, how good Virginia Tech is at home and their their experience and their talent. Um, but um, you know, again, we just I don't know, maybe it was like 12 to 14 or whatever it was, and then they just took off and um, they were very. They guarded us very well. They were very physical. We didn't handle that physicality well um and then um we were behind in every way shape and form on the defensive end so they thoroughly outplayed us and that's you know that's that's a tough way to go down um <clears throat> but um you know when you when you look at it and you say look we we're on a fine line and if we're not if we're not right um separation can occur that's happened to us this year a few times um it happened to us you know you'd hope at this stage um that it wouldn't but it did and it's a credit to how well Virginia Tech played but also that uh, we we didn't have the right the right uh the right mindset or the ability to to withstand their runs to try to climb back in and that's where you know your soundness is really challenged and you know you got you got to compete it was physical and um, the aggressor went they were the aggressors and they certainly dominated us in pretty much all areas. No doubt about that. You would think that UVA still
1: is looking at least pretty good in terms of making the NCAA tournament, but this loss does mark yet another blowout loss in a game away from home this season. November 20th, a 65-40. 41 loss to Wisconsin in Fort Myers, Florida in the 2023 Fort Myers tip-off. UVA was number 24 in the Associated Press top 25 poll at the time. December 19th, a 77 54 loss at then number 23 Memphis UVA was number 22 in the Associated Press top 25 poll at the time December 30th a 76 54 loss at Notre Dame January 13th a 66 47 loss at Wake Forest and now February 19th a 75 41 loss at Virginia Tech. Uh, Next up for Virginia, home to number 10, North Carolina, Saturday afternoon at four. As for Virginia Tech, look, the Hokies still have work to do to make the NCAA tournament, but it is worth noting that they are right there with Virginia in terms of the NCAA's net rankings. Uh, The NET, N-E-T, is the NCAA evaluation tool, uh, a ranking system that the NCAA adopted in 2018 to replace the RPI, the Rating Percentage Index. Uh, Per the net rankings for this season, as of games through Monday, Virginia, the number 50 team in Division I, men's basketball, Virginia Tech, number 53. Uh, And James Madison, by the way, number 56. Uh, Next up for Virginia Tech at Pitt, Saturday evening at 5.30. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Goldie podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show episode 767 will include a lot for you on the Commanders. Also on Wednesday show, I'll talk Capitals and Maryland basketball. The camps are home to the New Jersey Devils, Tuesday night at 7. The Terrapins are at Wisconsin Tuesday night at 9. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you On Wednesday.
2: Brandon Scherf.